All right, so I mentioned earlier we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11 today. If you want to turn there, or maybe if you've read ahead. I have a friend who, uh, who's also involved in ministry, and we talk periodically. And uh, almost every time he calls me, he asks me the same question, and to where I kind of dread it, but when he doesn't ask me, I'm like, wait, he didn't ask me that question. And what he, what he asked me is, you know, we'll catch up on, hey, how are the kids doing, and how's church, and all that kind of stuff, and then he'll say, so how's your heart? I hate that question. Because I have to actually do some self-reflection, you know. We like to trick ourselves. But like I said, when he doesn't ask me, I'm like, hey. So every now and then I'll, I'll ask him, how's your heart? We're not concerned about cholesterol levels or anything, obviously. I'm, you know, maybe, maybe he is concerned about my cholesterol levels. Maybe, maybe that's what he means. I don't know. Um, but it's important, you know, to have someone like that in your life, right? That says, okay, that's great. We've talked about all the surface things. Now, how are things really? Right? You've got to have someone like that in your life. And sometimes, some of you are, are supervisors or bosses or managers or whatever, and you may not have a lot of people around you on the, on the regular who feel comfortable asking that kind of thing. Right? Now, King Solomon, who, who we've been studying about the last uh, six weeks or so, uh, la- you know, uh, Two weeks ago, we saw he was basically at the pinnacle of his, of his power, right, and influence. The world, he had a reputation all over the world. I, I feel like there was probably not very many people around him who were comfortable challenging him in any meaningful way. And we're going to see kind of where that leads. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 11. Before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll ask God to help us understand all this. Lord, we thank you for giving us another opportunity to study your word. We thank you that, Lord, you made it it available in every language, every translation, every, uh, you've you've gone out of your way to make sure that you can be known and understood. But Lord, uh, with all the tools available, the biggest hindrance still is our own sin, our own hearts. So Lord, we pray that you would cleanse us, forgive us. Make us ready to receive your word today. Help us to, to see the truth of who you are, who we are, and who we can be in you. Pray for your blessing on the message and on your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so First Kings chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. So you've probably heard this term before, or maybe not, but uh, called unequally yoked. You ever heard that? Paul talks about that in the New Testament, about how... um, uh, you know, light has no fellowship with darkness, and a believer and an unbeliever should not be bound together because they're unequally yoked. That was not a new concept that Paul came up with. As a matter of fact, you know, and it's not even new in Solomon's time. God had told the people of Israel 
centuries before Solomon, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, he said, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. He's speaking about, these were, this is when Israel was entering into the promised land. And God tells them, hey, there's, there's people of other uh, alliances in this land. You shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Now, don't get this twisted. Some people do. It's, it has nothing to do with their ethnicity. It has nothing to do with their race. It had to do with their hearts and their belief system. Right? He's, it had nothing to do with uh, whether they were lighter or darker than you. It had everything to do with who they actually follow. And he says in verse 4, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That was the danger. That's why light has no fellowship with darkness. Why a believer and an unbeliever should not be, should not be married. Because they're unequally yoked. The way I've, I've always tried to explain this to my kids is, is the concept of glovey mud. Have you ever heard of this? No? Okay, so if you put on gloves, and you know, if, you're, if you've trusted Jesus for your eternal life, it, he tells us that we are covered in his blood, right? We, when he looks at us, he sees his righteousness, not our sin. But if you put on a pair of gloves and you go out and work in the, in the dirt, does the mud ever get glovey? No. The gloves get muddy, right? It only works one way. And, and you know, we need, to have, we need to be very careful who we let into the deepest places of our heart because uh, Paul, as he talks about being unequally yoked, he says it's, it's a proven fact that, you know, bad company will corrupt, right? Uh, some people feel like da- the, their dating life is their evangelism field, and, and that is not the case, right? More often than not, uh, people who are far from God will draw you further away uh, than the other way around. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't associate with anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus or anything like that. But we have to be careful who we're letting into the deepest places in our hearts, who we're giving the most influence in our lives. And we need to make sure that we have people in our lives that push us to grow closer to God rather than pull us further away. And so Solomon has obviously not listened to this advice. In 1 Kings 11, verse 3, it says, He had, (laughs) these numbers are Wilt Chamberlain-like, He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives did what? They turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. So he mentions a couple of pagan gods, a couple of false gods here. Ashtaroth, that's a name that we're not super familiar with, but we can trace it through history. Ashtaroth was also known as Ishtar in Assyria, and as, as Astarte by the Greeks and the Romans. This is, a, this is basically a sex goddess, right? Worship of, of um, Ashtaroth involved basically legalized prostitution. You would go to um, the place to worship this god and, and have sex with a temple prostitute. And then there's Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Now, uh, Milcom is also known as Molech, and we'll talk a little bit more about that name here in a minute. Verse 6, it says, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, 
and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh. Now a high place, this would be, you build a, basically an altar or a temple or a place of worship, a church, whatever you want to call it, up on, you know, on a hill, on a high place. And that's where you would go to worship this false god. Because, you know, the closer to the sky you are, the closer you are to this false god, is, was the thinking. So he builds a high place for Chemosh. Now, we're not going to go back and track all this down, but when Israel was entering into the promised land, when God gave them their, their warnings about, hey, don't intermarry with these people because they're going to pull you away from me, he also said, now be sure to destroy all their high places. Right? Get rid of all of their places of worship because it's going to be tempting to you. And it's, a, you know, it's just kind of there as a word of warning that I know I've done this in my life where I've rebuilt something that God wanted to tear down in my life. He took it away, and I slowly but surely rebuilt this thing that didn't need to be there. Now Solomon, he rebuilds. He builds some high places for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So that sounds nice, right? He just did this to make his wives happy. But it says he built a high place for Chemosh. Now, uh, again, we track this name through history and he was also known as Mars, or a name you may be more familiar with is Beelzebub. You ever heard that one? Yeah, it's basically the devil. It's a god of war and uh, also suppose, supposedly watched over your harvest. And, you know, if you sacrifice to him, he might ensure fame and wealth. Hmm. Well, no, there's no hidden catches or anything to a deal with Beelzebub, right? And then he builds a high place for Moloch. Now, Moloch, high worship of Moloch involved, you would heat up this brazen altar. It was a statue, basically, with outstretched arms. And you would heat it up to red hot. And then you would place one of your children on it. And they would be killed. They would be burned alive. But this would ensure you a good harvest and wealth and prosperity. You know, people still choose financial prosperity over their children today, right? We may not do it, and we may not have a statue of Moloch, but this is still happening in one form or another. So these are the high places that Solomon built. Because when we first read it, we go, oh, okay, so he built some things for his wife to keep them happy. Now it's a, little, it's a little darker. So he builds these high places, and it says that he built them on the mountain, which is east of Jerusalem. Do you know what that mountain's called? It's the Mount of Olives. Right, this is at the foot of the Mount of Olives is where Jesus, before his crucifixion, prayed Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And Solomon, so that's the thing, is Solomon is, is, 
He's hedging his bets. When we, when we read about this part of Solomon's life, it's tempting to go, oh, okay, well, now today we would diagnose him with he's got a sexual uh, uh, problem, right? Sexual fetish or addiction or whatever. But I, I don't think his great sin had much of anything to do with that. I'm not saying it wasn't involved, but it was about his desire for more, right? To be great, to be famous. Because all of these relationships, he, he specifically married people from other foreign lands because that's how you formed a political alliance in the ancient world, right? I marry one of your daughters and now we have a, a trade agreement or now this border is open or whatever the case may be. And he got involved in worshiping their pagan gods because, you know, God's blessed me, but, you know, Chamash says he can make sure that I have a great harvest. And Molech says that he can make sure I have even more wealth. Because more is always better, right? Solomon, he had, he had wisdom for everyone else, but couldn't apply it to himself. In Romans chapter 2, verse 21, Paul's addressing a group of religious leaders who kind of had this same condition. And he says, well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Right, that's, that's a hard thing to hear, right? That you give God a black eye. There's nothing worse than being the do as I say, not as I do guy. Right? No one can stand that guy. There's an old saying that you... You are what you do, not what you will, not what you say you will do. And if you, if you feel like no one's caught on to your hypocrisy, and I say this as a person who I have it in my own life, if you think no one's caught on, you are mistaken. The people closest to you see when you say one thing and do another, and it hurts it hurts your testimony. It hurts your efficacy in their lives. And Solomon had the biggest platform, more fame, more wealth, more everything than anyone else. And he's doing nothing but hurting himself. So we go back to 1 Kings 11, verse 9. It says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, and he should not, uh, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord commanded. You catch that? Twice the Lord has appeared to Solomon. Now, how many times have we, you know, you've, you've been praying about something, or I'm just unsure, God, if you would show me. Imagine if God just literally appeared to you. I feel like if he did that with me, I would be like, okay, I'm absolutely going to follow everything you say, right? Except we know that that's not how it works. He appeared to Israel over and over, and, pe and people still rebelled against him. But, but Solomon twice had, got, had had God appear to him. It, God had blessed them beyond what anyone had ever enjoyed in their lives, 
then or now. Right? He's the, this is probably the wealthiest human to ever live. The wisest king to ever live. And he wants more. He wants more, so he starts worshiping false gods. Verse 11. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now, we're, Lord willing, next week we're going to get into all the drama that unfolds after this statement of how Solomon actually loses the kingdom. And we find out that Solomon's son is at least going to reign for a little while and he's going to have some territory. And if you've ever read through Proverbs, you know that Solomon already had doubts about his son. Uh, he, he writes all these Proverbs about, my son, don't be a fool. Here's what a fool acts like, blah, blah, blah. And we like to read that and go, oh, it's figurative. And no, Solomon knew his son was a fool. His son was a dummy. And he's like, oh, great. God just told me that he's going to become king. He's a doofus. <laughs> I've got some work to do, right? And so he writes a lot of stuff down, but we'll get into some of that. But in, in the first nine or so verses that we covered in this chapter, the word heart appears over and over and over. Like I said, next week we'll, we'll see Solomon's life come to an end. But before he died, he wrote some of the lessons that he learned between the last verse we read and the time when he dies. This is, this is the period of time when he wrote most of the things that he wrote. The Proverbs and, and uh, Ecclesiastes and so on. But I'm just going to read you a couple verses, a few verses of some of the lessons he learned the hard way that he's trying to pass on to his son, even though he knows it's probably not going to help. Proverbs 4, verse 23, he said, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9 he says, live happily with the woman you love. <laughs> you can tell he's a little bit bummed out here. With the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife, here we go, this is the big thing. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Right? One wife, there's a wife that God gives you. And again in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. He said, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is just not pleasant anymore. One translation says, life is not worth living anymore. Now, not everything Solomon wrote <laughs> is so depressing. There's a lot of uh, bummer verses that he wrote. But we do see a kind of a clear theme in his writings, a, a theme of regret. Right? Someone who had everything that the world had to offer 
ends his life in regret. And in particular, he focuses on the condition of your heart. That we guard it, how we guard it, why it matters. You know, Solomon didn't just, he didn't just wake up one day and decide to worship other gods. His, his singular love for God was just slowly divided and replaced with other things. We'll go back to 1 Kings 11, verse 4. It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. It talks about his heart being divided. His heart was not wholly devoted. It was not singularly focused. And that's where it starts. That's the, that's the heart condition he has. See, here's the thing. Is, is a divided heart is actually man's default condition. Right? This is, yeah, we see this develop in Solomon's life. But we start out that way. And then if God becomes a part of our life, in Psalm 86, it talks about how he, he changes that condition of our heart. Right? Psalm 86, verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your path. Unite my heart to fear your name. And I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. In other words, God, if you will change my heart, it will be yours, and, I, and it will be focused on you. But apart from you, it's, gonna, it's just going to be in this scattered, divided condition. Now, there's a particular psalm. Some, some theologians say David wrote this. Others say they, that he didn't. But one thing we do know about it, it's, it's Psalm 119. Uh, is this, it, it's an acrostic poem, okay? So, um, it's, I think it's 175, 176 verses, and it's divided into 22 stanzas, and there are 22 characters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and so, in the, in the Hebrew text, each, uh, you know, each of the eight verses in a stanza would start with the same letter. So it's kind of like you know, how we teach our kids, A is for apple, and B is for banana, and so on. So they would... A parents would use this psalm to teach their children the alphabet, but also, while they were at it, they would be teaching them about how to be a man of God, how to, how to have a heart fully devoted to God. And so Solomon, in all likelihood, learned this psalm growing up. And it teaches us, like I said, how to have a united heart, how to have a heart that is fully devoted to God, so when we read those lessons, we can see what the signs are that our heart is not in that condition. Right, so Psalm 119, verse 2, says, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. And that word blessed, we have a lot of ideas of what that means, but it really literally just means happy. I think the New Living Translation renders that word joyful. How joyful are those who observe his testimonies, 
Right, so a united heart, a heart that's in tune with God, is a happy one. It's a joyful one. That means if my heart is not in that condition, it's probably discouraged. It's, prob- it's probably unhappy. So when trials come, do I, do I immediately fall into despair? Or am I trusting God as, as my source of happiness and peace? Right? That's one of the things we can kind of test ourselves on. We'll skip forward a few verses. Psalm 119, verse 10, it says, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. So a divided heart wanders. A divided heart tends to stray. My heart is it's divided when I know what God says very clearly, and then I willfully choose to do the opposite. I choose to take my own path. I'm reminded of one of my favorite old hymns, Come Thou Fount. And the, uh, we only sing three or four verses of it. There's actually quite a few more. Some of those old hymns, there's like, here's the novel. You pick the f- 17 verses you like, you know. But the one verse that always gets me is, uh, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Right. The author, like me, knew himself and knew my heart tends toward this direction. But I don't want that. We'll read on here. Psalm 119, verse 34. He says, Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in your path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Sorry, uh, a divided heart tends toward dishonesty, tends toward selfishness. Apart from God, we all default to dishonesty and selfishness, if we're honest with ourselves. You know, if I'm easily offended by other people's opinions, uh, if I'm bothered by other people's success, then my flesh is doing the talking. That's a divided heart that has those feelings. Right, the, our, our little children upstairs are learning that love hopes all things, endures all things. You know, it, it, it wants to see the best happen for you. And how often are we really happy about the best happening for someone else other than ourselves? Not very often. Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul says, To do nothing from selfishness, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as what? More important. More important than yourself. That means I don't always assume that I'm the smartest guy in the, in the room. Right? Someone in this room probably knows more than me. I don't assume evil motives in someone else. Right? The kids are learning that right now, that love believes all things, and it hopes all things. 
and most of us adults still are struggling to apply that, right? Because we know our own hearts, we know our own selfish desires, our, no, our own selfish motives, so we assume that about everyone else. Here's a big one. If you're following this, if, you're, if you have a, a heart that's united, it's clearly aligned with God, then you don't view your time as more valuable than someone else's. That's tough. So a divided heart, it, it's unhappy, wandering, selfish. And then this is the one I, I really didn't want to cover. It's inconsistent. Psalm 119, verse 54. says, Your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. This is how I spend my life. Obeying your commandments. Right? The, the psalmist says, I'm reading your word in the morning. I'm reading it at night. This is, this is how you could sum up how I live my life, is doing my best to follow your word. So does that mean that uh, he observed, you know, did, always did right all the time? No. Nobody, there's been, there's been one guy who lived a sinless life, and we murdered him. That's how that works. There was, there was one who lived a sinless life. So, of course, we're not going to live up to that all the time. But, but if I spend my life working at knowing God's word and then working at trying to, to follow what he says, then willful rebellion and wandering and all that stuff tends to be the exception, not the rule. Because when I'm not spending regular time with God, everything becomes inconsistent. And I know how hard this is because, like I said, this was the part that I'm like, oh, great. Because I, I see it in my own life, right? I do well for spurts. It's kind of like how I follow diets, right? You know, I'm really good at them for like a week. Then I take a day off and then, then you know, you got this. So then, uh, so consistency is a struggle of mine. But when I'm spending regular time with God... Everything else tends to be a little more in alignment as well. When I'm not spending regular time with him, I start to lose confidence. Because a, a divided heart, that's another sign, is a, a divided heart, it's fearful. Even ashamed. Psalm 119, verse 46, it says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. And shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. I will delight in your word. You know, if my Monday through, through uh, Saturday life doesn't look the same as my Sunday life, I become less and less likely to speak about my faith. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know that guy, right, that is just a jerk at work. And then wants to get in on your conversation about the Bible. And you're like, no, you are hurting the, <laughs> the case. <laughs> you know. But if those two, those two parts of our life don't line up, eventually we start to 
get a little more nervous, a little more restrained, maybe less likely to talk about the Lord. And before long, we talk, avoid talking about him altogether. In Psalm 119, it's funny, we sang this verse just a little bit ago, verse 103. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Right? When we're walking in step with the Lord, when our hearts are united with his, we can't wait to get more of his word. When we're far from him, sometimes we don't want to hear it. Because it hurts, because it stings, because it brings up weird feelings. And a divided heart, that's its condition, it's sour. You know, when I'm angry, when I'm bitter, when I'm salty, or whatever you want to call it, I have to check myself for what voice have I been listening to the most lately. Sometimes we, we seek opinions from friends, family, maybe even a pastor, before we've ever even once talked to God about it. Now, I mentioned earlier in the message, it's important to have people like that in your life, people that can speak truth into your life, that can challenge you. But they're an augmentation to your walk with God. You start by talking to Him about it. And more often than not, if, if that's what we're doing, right, we're seeking counsel from other people other than God, we're kind of hoping to find somebody who will back up the thing that we already want to do. And the wisdom of man, we talked about the verse, you know, the difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God a few weeks ago. The wisdom of man, more often than not, just leaves a, a bad taste in your mouth, and it leaves you with no peace. Now, now Solomon, we're not going to go through this whole psalm. It's like 170-some verses. But Solomon, you know, he started great, and he ended poorly, and he knows it. Like, before it ends, he already knows, I have messed this up. And I'm thankful for the things that he wrote down in that little window of time. We'll go back to one of the verses that he wrote. We read this earlier. Proverbs 4, verse 23. He said, guard your, your heart above all else. Remember, this is a guy who had a huge kingdom, had all kinds of wealth, had all kinds of wives and mistresses, all kinds of the things that we get protective over. And he said, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So I will ask you the question that my friend asked me, and I hate hearing it every time. But how is your heart today? How's your heart? Are you happy? Or a little unstable? Are you wandering? Or are you on track? Have you been more selfish than selfless lately? Some of you get, a, get to test yourself on this in a little bit, right? After church, we go, where do you want to eat? And, and everybody's like, like, I don't know, where do you want to eat? But inside, you know, we really want to eat where we want to eat. And if you say a place that's not where I want to eat, then I go, well, no, not there. Okay. <laughs> Dang it, right? This, this is a problem. I don't have the answer for you on that one, but... Are you selfish or selfless? 
Consistent or inconsistent? Sweet or sour? Do you have someone in your life who sharpens you? Who challenges you to be closer to God? Rather than tempts you to be further from Him? If you don't, you need that person in your life. We all need to be mentors and be mentored. But until you find that person, what we all need, especially, is Psalm 139, verse 23. This is something David wrote. Remember, David had his own problems. But God told Solomon, look, the biggest problem you have is your heart is not devoted to me like your father's heart, David, was. And here's what David said, Psalm 139, verse 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You ever have any of those anxious thoughts? Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David knew full well if God took him up on this, he would find something. David says, examine my heart and then point out to me the things that I'm, I've been unwilling to see. And I know they're there. It's a hard thing, but it's the right thing, and that's how you grow. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much that that you, you judge not as, as man judge that judges, but you, Lord, you see our hearts. You see our motives. And you know that uh, sometimes we're, we're judged harshly when we had good motives, but more often than not, Lord, there are things going on in our hearts that are impure. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would examine our hearts and then show us what it is we need to change. Show us what we've been building up that you want to leave torn down. What we've been tearing down that you want to build up. Lord, show us who we are. And then show us who we can be in you. Well, we pray that anyone uh, here listening online that, that doesn't already have a relationship with you, Lord, that they would see that You've already done all the work for them. We talked about glovey mud earlier. You were willing to take your righteousness and cover over everything in their lives on their behalf. If they would just simply trust you for eternal life. For the rest of us, Lord, we, we pray that uh, you would just show us the truth of who we are. Do it gently, Lord, so we can do work on one thing at a time and that you would lead us in your everlasting way. Lord, we pray for your blessing. We thank you for your love and your mercy. And we pray that you come and come quickly. Amen. Ready? Break. <laughs>